0: Thank you everyone for joining us for our podcast today, which is being hosted by the Disability and Wellness Staff Network. I am Natalie Donu-Morley and I'm one of the co-chairs of the network and we've come together today to talk about Invisible Disabilities Week and what constitutes an invisible or hidden disability. I've got three members of the organisation joining me today and I'm going to hand you over to them now to introduce themselves.
1: My name's Kimberly. Um, I'm a career development consultant um, within the organizational development team which sits in HR. I'm
2: Shelley Rawlin. I'm a campaign and marketing officer within the Commerce team.
3: Hi, I'm Lydia. I'm a HR advisor in human resources.
0: So to kind of start off for those people that maybe within the organization don't know, um, can you tell me what is an invisible or hidden disability? And do you have any kind of examples from your real life experience?
1: So I would define a, an invisible disability as either a, a mental or a physical condition um, that has that can have a daily impact on someone's life, but isn't necessarily obvious to other people Um, so it quite literally is they can't see it um, and therefore maybe can't perceive that that person has a disability Um, so I don't mind sharing my personal example Um, so I have type 1 diabetes which is uh, considered to be an invisible disability um, and also anxiety and depression which also can be considered an invisible disability as well
2: I think a lot of people think of um, invisible and hidden disabilities and more of the, the on the mental health side rather than the physical side, where there is actually quite a range of um, physical health problems that are actually counted as hidden. But I think sometimes they might get forgotten. Um, an example I would give would be Crohn's disease. So quite often you you wouldn't look at somebody and know that they have Crohn's disease.
3: It's something substantial that impacts your life on a day to day basis that other people can't see and would not know to look at you. So, me personally, I have hearing loss in both ears, which is hereditary, and I have recently been diagnosed with autism.
0: Lydia, did you always know about your hidden disability? And if not, how did you kind of
3: become aware of it? So, my hearing loss was diagnosed in 2016, and it just so happened that I I was sick with something else. And they decided to test my hearing. And sure enough, I have, I think it's 30% loss in one and 40% in the other. And it turns out it's hereditary. My grandfather has the exact same type of hearing loss. It just It's just one of those things. But throughout my entire childhood, into teenagerdom and adulthood, I was regularly accused of uh, selective hearing and ignoring people. So you can imagine how bad they felt when it turns out that, actually, I am deaf. You know, it it does count as deafness, not capital D deaf, but deaf, because I do have a loss of hearing. And in regards to the autism, I've always been a bit of an odd duck, I guess. And then a couple of years ago, um, my best friend died suddenly and ended up in therapy. And the therapist said to me, have you ever considered that you might be autistic? And that was in 2019. And I was diagnosed in July of this year. So it's been a long process.
0: A long, yeah, sounds like a very long process. And I know, Shelley, you've had experiences, as well of a long diagnosis process.
2: Yes, yeah, so my husband has um, Crohn's disease, um, and he had ongoing stomach problems for around ten years, um, and he was just told a range of different things, like it's diet, it's lifestyle, or oh, it's IBS. Um, tried a range of different medications, nothing helped. Um, what led to his final diagnosis was an A and E admission. Um, Because his Crohn's had become so bad, the inflammation in the bowel had actually caused scar tissue and caused a physical blockage in his bowel. So he literally could not obviously eat or do anything because his whole bowel was obstructed, which is highly dangerous. Um, And he then had to wait three weeks in hospital and have emergency surgery to remove a foot of his bowel. To resolve the issue and it wasn't until they had that surgery that they identified that he actually had Crohn's disease so because there's a range of with Crohn's there's a range of different symptoms and so many people are impacted by different ways so one symptom one person will have and another person won't so it is really highly misdiagnosed or not diagnosed it takes often takes a long time to get that diagnosis.
0: And Kim did you find your diagnosis took
1: a a while as well or was yours kind of more more simple? So with my diabetes um it was a very simple um diagnosis because the symptoms are usually not always but usually quite obvious so um it was actually when I was 12 um that I was diagnosed and I lost over a stone in I think it was like four weeks was drinking vast amounts of water constantly thirsty um and then obviously as a result going to the toilet quite a lot more often and my mum just noticed pretty much straight away got me to the the doctors and then i was in hospital that same day that i went to the gp um finding out that i had this life-changing condition and had to do four injections a day for the rest of my life um so yeah the diagnosis process that was fairly straightforward um but what i would say is that i didn't actually know that it was considered as an invisible disability or a hidden disability until probably my adult life Um, i just thought oh i have a health condition um but i think it was when i started applying for jobs that there were questions on there of do you consider yourself to have a disability and disability schemes and things like that that i actually discovered that it, it is considered as an invisible disability and i think it made me feel more validated in how I felt about the impact it had on my life, because I just thought, oh, you know, I've just got a, a bit of an illness. but well, actually it does impact my life significantly? So it felt quite good to <laughs> to know that it was considered as a disability, which might sound odd to some people, but I think yeah, it just helped me feel more validated. And then in terms of kind of my mental health, anxiety and depression, I think. Once I decided to seek help, I was actually incredibly lucky. I got almost an immediate diagnosis and got referred to um, what is now Talking Therapies. It was during lockdown, actually. Um, But I think I've had it for years. um, And because of the stigma around it, I was just very nervous to go and get a diagnosis. Um, But again, I'm so glad that I did, um, because I think it's just changed my outlook on life and has really helped me to actually... Be able to deal with it a lot better, um, but I do understand that with mental health conditions, there can be very long waiting periods for most people, um, and a lot of people aren't as lucky as I was with my experience. No, most definitely. And so, as a as
0: a group, what are the challenges of having a disability that people can't see that that's hidden or is invisible? What what kind of things do you face on a, a daily basis?
2: I think um it depends on the disability and it also depends on um like the person themselves on how it affects your life. So for example, my husband's a builder and he's self-employed. There's a lot of contractors and employers and stuff don't necessarily have this more sympathetic approach towards his condition. Obviously, with Crohn's, he needs to have more regular toilet breaks. Um, He often can be very, very tired. So I think there's a lot of, um, because there's a lack of understanding about the actual Crohn's disease itself and the symptoms, a lot of his experience is that people don't understand it and they don't understand the impact on its life so it affects things like work and the misconception that people don't understand so he's actually been confronted before by somebody coming out of a disabled toilet um, and they literally were really angry and shouting at him and asking him why he was going in there. Um and he has a radar key because he has to urgently use the bathroom. Mm. He's completely within his rights with his hidden disability to use that. And it was in front of our son as well. It was quite confrontational. Um, and I think that he finds that quite difficult. Like you shouldn't have to explain yourself why you're trying to use a disabled toilet with your family.
0: That must have been a, a horrible experience for for him and for you as a as a family. And I think that's the one of the reasons that we're obviously doing this this podcast and we're talking about invisible disabilities, because I think there's You know such a lack of understanding around you know what what constitutes a hidden disability or an invisible disability that actually raising awareness is really really important so hopefully you know maybe people will think twice before they make that kind of confrontational confrontational comment um what about you you Lydia are there things that you kind of faced or challenges that you've come across on a daily basis with your
3: disabilities i I think at the moment it's it's a lot more prominent because I am so newly diagnosed and whilst I wouldn't say I'm like supremely successful in life you know I, I have a husband and I have a friendship circle and I have a good job so like how can you be autistic like are you sure like are you just kind of faking it like you don't look autistic you don't seem autistic how am I how am I supposed to look like how am I supposed to act like what you see is me masking because the world is not built for you to see me as I really am because I make you uncomfortable if I'm sat here and I'm fiddling and I'm going on and on and I just go into one of my moments people don't like it so you hide it and as a female. It is a lot harder with diagnoses because a lot of diagnoses are male-oriented. So a male autism diagnosis is significantly different to a female one. And that's what the benchmarking is against.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And I know that there's a lot a lot more girls tend to make it through school or further education without an autistic or an autism diagnosis because they are so good at masking. But actually, unless there's kind of it's kind of picked up, then you know, there's no kind of additional support for people as they're trying to get through their education. So that's quite then tricky to then kind of face the looking at an adult
3: diagnosis. And and with the hearing side of things, you know, I don't sound deaf. Well, I am. Like what I don't know what you want from me. Like I can hear. I haven't lost all of my hearing. But the issue is I can't filter out background noise. So if I'm in the office and Kim, you know what it's like when we're in a busy day, I cannot hear a thing when everything's going on. Unless you are literally like dead in front of me, looking at me, and I'm lip reading you. There's no way I'm gonna get what you're saying. There's no processing. You know, there's such a stereotype of what a deaf person is supposed to be. Or what someone with Crohn's is supposed to look like, or someone with diabetes. Because back in the day, it used to be, well, diabetes is for obese people, and I can guarantee you, Kim is not obese. <laughs> you know, everyone looks different. And I think that's the main thing that people need to get their heads around is that, okay, yes, there used to be the stereotype, but that's just not the way it is anymore. No, I, I, I definitely agree.
0: And what advice do you think you can give as a, as a group who's someone who thinks they might have an undiagnosed disability?
3: I'm currently very much going through this point. You know, it took three plus years to get a diagnosis. And even now I'm diagnosed, very few people know. Um, currently, Kim is the only person outside of my friendship cycle in HR that actually knows I have an autism diagnosis. Obviously, I'm not sure I'd tell anybody, but it's just not something that I'm ready to have out there yet. Like It's still very personal, but I think a lot of it is the stigma of, of what are people going to say. And it's scary, but the amount of support that people give you is phenomenal. So even if you're scared, there are people to help. So just just do it because it can only improve your life basically
1: yeah i think i'll follow up on that point that i think the best thing is to basically the more people that can speak out and be honest and open about their conditions and kind of embrace it the more the stigma will be broken Um, and i think particularly with my mental health side of things i found that because Growing up, my mum would always say things to me like, oh, you don't want to go and get diagnosed with anxiety. Nobody will want to hire you. Um, And she has eventually realised that this is not necessarily the case as well. But um, only through me being kind of like persistent and my sister as well. She also suffers with anxiety, Um, but being persistent to go to get that diagnosis. And I now constantly talk about how I'm feeling and. Um, You know, if I'm having an anxious moment, what that might look like and how that can impact my behaviour sometimes. Um, And I just feel like talking about it helps the people around me understand and then they can help me more. Whereas if they don't know what I'm going through, they can't help me. Um, And I think that's the important thing for anybody who's worried about kind of getting a diagnosis of something um, is that, yeah, most people will want to help you. There are some horrible people out there who might judge you, but most people will want to help you.
3: Re-education is a a big thing. My dad, for example, doesn't or didn't believe in autism and Asperger's and things like that. He was just like, no, like, you know, kids are just badly behaved. Like, you were just a bit weird as a child, you know, just odd, strange. You know, some children are just like that. Obviously... How am I supposed to tell him how damaging that is to a child growing up that you think they're strange? But it's a lot of re-educating. And now that, you know, the diagnosis has gone through and he's been given a lot of documents and spoken to quite a few people, he's like, oh, okay, this is making a lot more sense now. And it's the re-education part that I think is so important. Like, it's not what you think it is. Diabetes isn't just for people that have bad diets the same with crohns i know somebody who has crohns and granted he does not follow doctor's advice <laughs> but it's not their own, it's not their fault you know like no one asks for this and sometimes it feels like you're treated as if like you've done it to yourself but that's just not the case
0: no that's really it's, it's a really kind of thought provoking um, part of the conversation, I think, that actually, you know, trying to get a diagnosis and b- being brave enough to kind of share your diagnosis once you've got it and the validation that you can get from that um it's really kind of a, a positive message to to share.
2: I was just gonna say, I just wanted to add that getting a diagnosis can actually be really, really life changing for people and really important, both on the physical and the mental hidden disability side. Um for example like my husband with the Crohn's disease like getting that diagnosis would literally would have saved his life like it is that important so all the treatments that he was having before for the suspected health conditions he didn't have obviously weren't working and if he hadn't then gone on had surgery and now being on medication to manage his Crohn's his life would have completely been in danger so a diagnosis is important because it could literally save your life um and get, also gives you the option for the right, not just the right medication, but the right support. So most hidden disabilities will have a very active charity or community group that you are able to sign up to or join. And then you're able to share your experiences with people that have gone through that diagnosis, understand your condition. And it gives you that access to that community that without that diagnosis, you wouldn't be able to have that.
0: No, I agree. And I think some of them support groups that are out there or the Facebook chats or the the websites and the the charities. It's really useful just to feel part of a a community sometimes and understand that you're not alone and there's other people that are kind of experiencing um, the same things as you are. And hopefully some tips and things that they can share as well that might be able to to help people.
2: And I'd also say that if you um, think you have a particular hidden condition, um, being an advocate for yourself or having people to advocate for you is really, really important. Um, Obviously, the NHS do wonderful things, but they can't always diagnose everything quickly. Um, But if you do believe something's wrong and trust your gut and advocate for yourself, I think that's really, really important. Thank you, Shelley. How can I, as a manager, make sure that
0: I
1: can support someone within my team um, who might have a hidden disability? I think conversation is really, really important. Um, so, for example, with my diabetes in particular, it I have multiple hospital appointments. It makes kind of illnesses that are... So, for example, even a cold um, can be worse for me than it could be for somebody else because it can impact my diabetes as well. So I might need more time off for work and things like that. And I think... I'm really lucky that I've had really understanding managers who have taken that into consideration and asked me what they can do to kind of support me with that. Um, so I think it's important not to just assume that somebody's Taking their time off, you know, for granted or that they're doing it just so they can have a day off sort of thing. Um, some people do actually need that additional time and kind of talking about it with your member of staff will help you to get a better understanding as to why. They might need that extra bit of time off or why they need to go to their hospital appointments um, and things like that.
0: And we've got some really good tools internally as well, haven't we? So we've got a reasonable adjustments, passport and toolkit. We've got wellness action plans, which I know have just been relaunched. Um, so I think it's really kind of important that managers and staff know that they are available to kind of help guide those conversations. Um, you know, if support is needed on, on either side.
2: I think managers need to be like sensitive and also educated on the, the disability as well. Everyone's different. So some people might want to look at loads of regional, regional adjustments. They might want um, their team to know about their condition, whereas somebody else might be very private and not want any assistance to begin with. They might not want anyone to know. So I think they really need to work individually on a one-to-one basis to understand how they can help that individual and about that particular hidden disability as well
3: and failing all that you know you can just come to HR you know that's that's what we're here for we're here to help you you know a lot of the advisors and consultants have some sort of link to a disability invisible or otherwise and 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 we can help you know my, my manager has been fantastic I, I explain to her what I have issues with and why I need things done a certain way and she endeavors to make sure that she does it that way in order to ensure that I understand fully. You know, it is—it's all about communication. Communication is key, isn't it? For, for everything,
0: and really, kind of building that relationship with your manager so that you can have those um, conversations is really important. Um, I'm already aware of sunflower lanyards being used out in the community and within the workplace to indicate hidden disabilities, and I know that they're widely used um in places like airports, and there's something that we um, also identify within our our libraries if someone might need some additional support. Um, but are there any other um things or schemes that I should be aware of, potentially as a as a manager or or someone that you know uses community facilities?
2: So my husband for um, his Crohn's disease as part of joining the Crohn's and Colitis Society he was given a can't wait card um, which is I think they're even globally recognised so it's just a card that you have in your wallet it literally says urgent can't wait so if you need to use facilities out in a cafe or out in public you can show that card um, to get fast-tracked and not have a lengthy conversation when you really need to use the facilities to explain why you need to use them and also the radar key which obviously gives access to I think it's Around 9,000 public um,
3: accessible toilets, so
2: that's really beneficial as well.
3: I have something called an access card, and it's it's not government recognised at the moment, but it's it's recognised around a lot of uh, companies in the UK, and it's starting to become more more recognised. So basically, it's a card that it basically shortens the conversation you need to have, kind of like the can't wait card. So my card has three symbols on it that say I have issues with standing and curing, I need to have an essential companion and I need audio assistance. So, for example, I'm going to see Hamilton in December and with my access card I get a neck loop and we got cheaper tickets in the access section with a guaranteed companion so that I know I have my husband with me and I have the assistance that I need. And it's recognised that lots of theatres do it. The OG in Ellsbury does it. Um, it's just basically a way for people with invisible disabilities to prove they have invisible disabilities without having that long, awkward conversation. It's just, here's my card. This shows you. Okay. That sounds like a great idea.
1: Yeah, so I do not really have anything kind of exactly like that. But um, for my diabetes, for example, um, a lot of people choose to wear ID tags, either on a necklace or a bracelet. Um, so that's something to look out for if, you know, somebody's unconscious or anything like that, um, or potentially behaving slightly oddly because my low blood sugars, for example, can make me um, behave quite differently. Um, I've often been told I look like I'm either very drunk, um, or my my mum's described it as me behaving like a petulant child. Um, but it's kind of, a, yeah, it's a way of um, you can look out for that sort of thing on somebody to see if maybe actually there's a reason why they're behaving a certain way. And it's not just them acting out. Um, but there are lots of other things as well. If you, if you look online, there are so many resources. So just one example that comes to mind, just because you mentioned the theatre. Um, but for example, at theme parks, a lot of theme parks will um, allow uh, diabetics to have queue jump passes because standing in a long queue for hours, kind of without easy access to food and things like that, can be quite dangerous. um So you can kind of jump to the front of the queue so you're not waiting for ages. Um, but yeah, it's there's, there's tons online for all conditions really. So yeah, off, it's worth having a look.
3: <laughs> and off the back of that, Merlin is one of the companies that accept the access card, so you can get queue jump at. Fort Park, Alton Towers, anything like that as accessible friendly. That's
0: fantastic. And I think perhaps after, um, as part of our hidden disabilities um, information that we share during the the week when this um, podcast is put out, maybe we'll share some of those schemes um, so staff can have a, a look if they're not already aware. But if you guys could share one final piece of advice to anybody out there that's listening, what would that be?
1: For me, the biggest thing is just be kind to everybody you come across. You really don't know what they're going through. Um, So I've had so many people, you know, assuming that because I look healthy, I don't have anything else wrong with me. Um, Whereas actually my diabetes alone, I think it's nearly 200 extra decisions I have to make a day. And that has a massive impact on my life and my mental well-being. Um, So just people treating me with kindness really helps because it's not putting an additional stress on my life.
2: (laughs) I think I'd say don't make assumptions, because most hidden disabilities, there's a whole range of severity, and everyone is different how they experience that disability. So even though you might think you might know about a particular condition or disability, that might not necessarily apply to everyone. So I think just a little bit of understanding that not not everyone's in the same situation. and making assumptions about a person's condition can actually not be helpful or very supportive or sympathetic. I think understanding is the most important thing.
3: I would say, you know, don't be ashamed. You didn't do it on purpose. And this is something that I'm I'm currently going through. It's a big adjustment period. But don't, don't be ashamed. Don't hide away because you think there's something to be ashamed of. You know, it, you are who you are embrace all parts of you.
0: Some really great pieces of
3: advice there. Thank you
0: so much for for coming along and joining us on our, our podcast today. I'm sure our listeners will find the podcast really, really useful. And thank you for helping us to raise the awareness of Invisible Disabilities Week.